Welcome to the Valleybrook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Kingdom Culture. We are living in the midst of cultural changes that most of us have never experienced. As a result, we see an ensuing chaos that some have dubbed the culture of outrage. However, as followers of Jesus, we are called to build a kingdom culture. This 12-part message series, Kingdom Culture, is focused on doing God's will to see the culture of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Well, good morning, everybody. Again, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're joining us online. We are in the middle of our all-church study, and this all-church study that we put together for this season is called Kingdom Culture, and we're excited about this because, honestly, we live in a world right now that culture is crazy, and uh, the reality is, is the kingdom of God is the opposite of the culture of this world, and as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to lean in to the culture of the kingdom of God. We need to base our beliefs, our actions, everything we do on the truth of what God's word tells us about the kingdom culture. Now, as I said, we put this together because we believe this is something that we need to do in this season. And also, one of the things that we do in our all-church study is we encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to do three things. We uh, have put together this packet of material, and in it there are daily scripture readings that we encourage you to read. There is a talk sheet for you to use in your life groups, and we do encourage everybody to join life groups and obviously to join us on Sunday morning. And this is why we do that. We believe that we can experience accelerated spiritual growth in the body of Christ when we're all studying the same scriptures every day in our personal devotions, when we're gathering in small groups of people to study God's word together, the same scriptures each week, and when we're hearing the same message. And we believe that God can do something in us when we're all on the same page. And the reality is, particularly in this season of COVID, when there's so much social distancing going on, this is one of the ways that we can interact and really connect over the same thing because we believe God's going to do something powerful in our lives. Now, this is the third week in the kingdom culture, and today we're talking about this, that the kingdom culture is founded on truth. So think about this. Over 2,000 years ago, Pontius Pilate asked Jesus this question, what is truth? Now, Pilate was challenging the idea of what really is the truth when it came to what was going on 2,000 years ago. But here we are 20 centuries later, and people are still struggling with that question, what is truth? Over the last couple of decades, truth has been made relative in our culture, and it's gone from uh, being something that's absolute to being personal preference or personal interpretation. Most recently in our nation, in this time when people are so politicized and, and polarized, truth has become a victim to being politicized and polarized. And there are competing definitions of what truth is and, and what is true and what's a fact and, and what's not. So today we're going to look at the reality that the kingdom of God is founded on truth. Now we're talking about God's truth and not what someone else says is true, but what God says is true. And the culture of the kingdom of God is based on God's truth. 
And that means for us as followers of Jesus Christ, adhering to God's truth must be a commitment that is greater than any other allegiance that we have in this world. It's greater than any other human philosophy that we may agree with. It's greater than any other political point of view. The kingdom culture, the the worldview of Christianity needs to supersede everything else in our lives. Uh, Let me illustrate this decay of the truth in our culture today. Every year, the Oxford English Dictionary chooses a word of the year. And in 2005, it was the word truthiness. Now, truthiness is actually a real word. It just, uh, it can be found in the Oxford English Dictionary. And it just became uh, culturally relevant when a late night comedian said this about truthiness. He said, uh, today's word is truthiness. Now, I'm sure some of the word police, the word anistas over at Webster's are going to say, hey, that's not a word. Well, anybody who knows me knows that I'm not a fan of dictionaries or reference books. They're elitist, constantly telling us what is or isn't true or what did or didn't happen. And tongue in cheek, he said, who's Britannica to tell me the Panama Canal was finished in 1914? If I want to say it was finished in 1941, it's my right to do it. I don't trust books. They're all fact, not heart. Uh, The idea behind that word truthiness is that actual facts, actual truth doesn't matter. What matters is how we feel. For we as individuals are the final decision makers about what is truth according to the definition of truthiness. There's this bald assertion that we not only discern truth for ourselves from the facts at hand, but we also create truth for ourselves despite the facts at hand. That's the idea behind this word truthiness. There's another word that came into being also by that same late night, late night comedian. It was the word uh, wikiality. And that comes as a play, a wordplay off of Wikipedia. We all know about Wikipedia. It's that online uh, encyclopedia that has grown in popularity. Uh, some people say that it's democratizing true, uh, excuse me, d- democratizing knowledge. But it's also been pointed out, particularly by uh, journalist John Siegenthaler, that there can be gross errors and fabrications in what is put online in Wikipedia. Numerous scholars have, in, have voiced their concerns about how reliable it is for a research tool, and they lament students' use of it as a research. But it's become interesting because well over six million articles are put into Wikipedia. Now, regardless of the accuracy of certain articles and separate from the movement, people have advocated for this free access to information online. But that term, wikiality, really reminds us that that whole idea behind the knowledge on Wikipedia is determined by majority vote. So a couple of years ago, you remember that uh, um, astronomers voted Pluto off the list of, of planets. It's that idea that if enough people log on and enough people agree with one view or another, then what's true becomes truth based on the majority vote. So this, there's, there's this idea that together we can create a reality that we agree on. So 
The new wikiality is that we take our collective truthiness and we make it fact for all by a majority vote. Now think that through. With the democratization of knowledge then becomes the, the democratization of truth. In a wiki world, there's no truth outside of what the majority determines. 51% of the people of the votes then become the final arbiter of what reality is. One writer says, if the community decides it and makes up its mind that two plus two equals five, then according to wikiality, two plus two does equal five. And that's how the culture of our world is moving to redefining truth. But for followers of Jesus, we have to define truth through a biblical worldview, not through a, a culture of the world worldview, but through the worldview of Scripture. And so let's look at what truth is this morning. The first thing I want to say about truth today is this. Jesus is the truth. Now, what does that mean when we say Jesus is the truth? Well, in John 14, Jesus says this about himself. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there's a lot going on in that statement. Jesus is talking about the way of salvation is through him, but ultimately he's saying this, that he is the only way to God, that he is the truth of God, and that the life that is life is only found in him and God. But saying that Jesus is the truth gets even deeper than that. In the Gospel of John chapter 1, Jesus refers to himself as the Word, the Word of God. And this is what we read. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is the living word of God, and he is also full of truth. Now, of course, there is the reality for all followers of Jesus that we are to obey the word of God, both in its written form in Scripture and the living word of God, who is Jesus. Going back to the Gospel of John again, in John 17, Jesus prays a prayer for his followers, and he says this, to God. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Now that takes on a dual meaning. First, Jesus is the living word of God, and so he's truth, but he's also uh, the then also the written word of God is truth. And this is emphasized again with Jesus' own words, where he says this: if you keep on obeying what I have said, you truly are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In Jesus, we come face to face with the one who the truth really is and with what it means to know the truth. In the conversation that follows this passage where Jesus says that you have to obey the truth and that he is the truth that will set us free, he has a discussion with a group of people who don't believe in him. And this is what he says. If God were your father, you would, love, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? 
because you were unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason that you do not hear is because you do not belong to God. Jesus is drawing a clear line in the sand for all of us. And he's saying that believing in him as the truth and following his truthful teachings is what separates those who, from those who belong to God from those who don't belong to God. For followers of Jesus, Jesus and his teachings are the truth. And so the culture of the kingdom of God embraces that Jesus is the truth. That becomes our worldview. So let's talk about that, the truth of our worldview. When Jesus was being interrogated by Pontius Pilate before his crucifixion, we can read the back and forth conversation that they had. I want to point out one verse. Pontius says, you are a king then. And Jesus answers, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. New Testament professor D.A. Carson writes this about this passage. He said, Jesus came in short to be a king or otherwise put to testify to the truth. The parallelism suggests his kingdom is the kingdom of truth. Or more precisely put, the exercise of his saving kingship is virtually indistinguishable from his testifying to the truth. In this context, truth is understood in more than an intellectual sense. It is nothing less than the self-disclosure of God in his Son, who is the truth. So disclosing the truth of God, of salvation and judgment, was the principal way of making subjects of exercising his saving kingship. So because Jesus is our king and we are his subjects in his kingdom, we see the world through the truth of his kingdom worldview. And that worldview includes the truth that God loves all people and yet because we are sinners, we are condemned and separated from God. But it also includes the fact that Jesus paid for our sins and he paid for the sins of the world and for everyone who believes in him, they can be saved by that, from that condemnation by accepting Jesus' death as the payment for our sins and believing in him and following him. And finally, that worldview means that as followers of Jesus, we become ambassadors for his kingdom, for his kingdom's reign and for his kingdom's rule above all other people and above all other things. He becomes preeminent in all and every area of our lives. So how do we live in that kingdom worldview? Well, let me go back again to something Jesus said. He said, if you keep on obeying what I have said, 
you truly are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So when we read and study and follow the Word of God, we're walking in the freedom of that truth. Again, I do appreciate the words of Professor D.A. Carson. This is what he says. He says, we come to know the truth not simply by intellectual assessment, but by moral commitment. In following the truth, Jesus isn't just about filling our heads with a lot of Bible knowledge and about us giving intellectual assent to belief in Him and in Scripture. It's actually about making a moral commitment, a decision that we're not just going to believe it with our heads, that we're actually going to let it influence our lives so that we live out that worldview in every part of our lives. That takes us to the next point that I want to make. The truth must be stewarded well. The truth of God must be stewarded well. So think about this. Truth is not subjective. It's not relative. It's absolute. And none of us can change it, even if it's inconvenient or even if it's difficult. Our worldview as followers of Jesus is based on the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we have to steward it well. Now, a steward, a steward is someone who's been entrusted with the care and keeping of something that doesn't belong to them. The gospel doesn't belong to us. It's been shared to us. The good news of Jesus doesn't belong to us, but it's something that we've been given. We need to take care of it and make sure that we share it with other people. We've been entrusted with the truth of God and God's word. So we need to both know it and share it and also live it out. I think about this because a couple of weeks ago, I was invited to be a facilitator in a webinar for, the men, for mental health for the state of Connecticut. And I was working with a group of people who were facilitators. And as we were preparing for that meeting, one of the facilitators stressed that we need to create a safe place for people to speak their truth. Now, when I heard that, I didn't respond at that comment, but internally, I, I cringed a bit, a bit because... The implication was that when people talk about speaking their truth is that there are many versions of truth. Now, I don't actually believe that's what the facilitator meant. I think what she was saying was she wanted people to feel safe, to share their personal experiences. But the way it came across and the way it made me cringe is that Speaking your truth sounds like there's a unique and individual aversion and version of truth for every single person, and that's not accurate. Yes, we all have personal experiences, and each one of them is unique and different just as we are unique and different, and they're real and they're valid experiences, but there aren't multiple versions of truth. But we live in a world that wants to tell us there are multiple versions of truth and that your truth is different than my truth and vice versa. So how do we steward the truth in this world? Remember earlier I pointed out what Jesus prayed. He prayed for his disciples then and us now. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. If we're going to steward the truth 
of God in our lives and in our relationships and in this world, we need to be intentional about what we take into our hearts and into our minds. Think that through. If we spend more time on social media or watching the news, whatever kind of news it is, and we take that in more than we take in God's Word and take in Scripture, then we're not stewarding the truth well. If we listen more to politicians and pundits more than we listen to Jesus, then we're not stewarding the truth of God well. We have to recognize that we have to let that be the thing that we base our lives on, our thoughts, our decisions, and we need to take it in. So we need to read God's Word. We need to listen to God's Word. We need to meditate on God's Word. We need to take it in to our hearts and our minds. Jesus made it very clear that we need to ask the Holy Spirit to, to guide us in the truth. In the Gospel of John, he said this about the Holy Spirit. He said the Spirit of, he called it the Spirit of truth. And he said, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in, into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. So when we get ready to read Scripture... When we start to open our Bibles and read it, we need to pray and say, Holy Spirit, guide me. Guide me to what I need today to understand, what I need to hear, what I need to apply to my life, what I need to help me have a biblical worldview today so that I can focus on the truth of God in this world that tells me that there are multiple versions of truth. Say, Holy Spirit, excite me with your word. Reveal to me things that I can apply to my life. The Apostle John, in his first letter, said this about stewarding the truth of God. He said, we know that we have come to know him, Jesus, if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. So recognizing that we're going to hear the commands of Jesus in Scripture, and we need to recognize that Living them out, following those commands is a demonstration that we not only have heard the truth, but we're stewarding the truth by living it and applying it to our lives. So when we read the Bible, we need to let God's word come in and actually sanctify us. Remember that means make us holy as we begin to follow the commands of Jesus and let the truth of God's word adjust how we operate and see in this world. It's, it's like a lens that we look through that, that brings everything into clarity and into focus. Pastor and Professor Ed Stetzer talks about this idea of our worldview. He says this, you know, like most speakers, I often receive notes and emails and personal comments about the various aspects of my teaching and my preaching more often, most often, he said, they are kind and helpful. Other times, they're not. Uh, people comment on the color of my shoes, how I comb my hair, whether, I'm not, whether or not I should be wearing jeans when I preach. He says, I don't receive a lot of questions about the content of my sermons, but I regularly get in-depth answers to questions I didn't know I asked. Over the years, he says, God has helped me find humor in those stories, and, and now I usually appreciate the underlying desire of people to connect with me, and rarely do those observations surprise me anymore, until recently. 
one viewer sent in this email with his thoughts. He writes, I've watched your sermon online. I played it again because I was struck by the number of times you adjusted your glasses while preaching. The second time through, I counted 74 times you adjusted your glasses in just 36 minutes of the sermon. At that point, you took them off, so I stopped counting. That wasn't the end of his message, uh, because now he broke out the calculator. He goes on. This was an average of every 30 seconds. Now, keep in mind that this is an incomplete count because I couldn't see you when the text was put up on the screen. I tell you this in Christian love because I know that you're interested in anything that may distract listeners from hearing what you are preaching and teaching. So I hope you will accept this, knowing that I want your ministry to be as effective for Christ as possible. Now, Ed said that the email clearly was a sincere attempt by someone to be helpful with no intent meant, ill intent meant, but he said it still caught me off guard. Anybody who uses glasses regularly knows that they slip, particularly when you're speaking in public. He said, I wanted to laugh off the email as just another example of somebody who has too much time on their hands, but then I wondered, did I really adjust my glasses that often? And after I went back and watched it, I realized that he was right. The truth is that until I received this well-intentioned critique, my glasses were slipping and I didn't even know it. My attempts to push them back were absent-minded and haphazard at best. Because I wasn't aware of how distracting this could be, I wasn't intentional about understanding the problem and ex existed or what I could do about it. And so my glasses just kept slipping and I kept adjusting them. More often than that, he writes, our temporary fixes to problems become so second nature that we do them without thinking about the related cause. And then he makes this correlation to our faith. The reality is, is that the glasses of many Christians are slipping. Our worldview is slipping. Whether it's the polarization in our culture, the creep of new technology, or simply the ferocity and volume of shouting voices around us, the gospel lenses through which we see the world need to be adjusted. So make sure you hear this. There is so much going on in our world that it can impact our worldview. It can impact how we see the truth of God's word. And so we need to make sure that our worldview is adjusted to make sure we see it through the truth of Scripture, a biblical worldview. In his letter to the church, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus about two important instructions about how you and I can steward God's truth. In Ephesians 6, he has that famous passage about the armor of God and he starts it off in verse 14. He says, stand firm then and with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Very simply, Paul is giving us a simple reminder that we need to prepare ourselves each and every day for living in a world that does not honor God's truth. So we need to put on the truth of God's word and his worldview each and every day. And that happens only by turning to God's Word, listening to it, reading it, memorizing it, and meditating on it. I mean, to buckle the belt of truth. 
around our waist every day. But that's not the only thing Paul said. He also wrote this about the truth. You know, he knew, he knew that in our sinful human nature that sometimes we actually use truth in unloving and unchristian and even harsh ways against other people. That was an issue in Paul's world 2,000 years ago, and it's an issue in our world today, so much so that sometimes we use God's word, the truth of it, as a weapon to beat people up with or beat them down. But that's not why God gave us his word. He gave it to us to raise our level of following him and to give us truth to live by. So this is what the Apostle Paul wrote. He said, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the, to the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. This is what Paul's saying. He says, we need to speak the truth in loving ways. The truth in itself of God's word can startle people and catch people off guard. So we need to speak it in loving and caring ways so that people will hear it. We don't want to do anything within ourselves to be offensive. We'll let God's word in itself, if it needs to be, be offensive. If we can't speak the truth in love, we're not following God's will for our lives. But when we speak the truth in love, we're doing what God wants us to do. And did you notice what it says? It says we're actually maturing. We're growing up into be mature followers of Jesus Christ. We steward the truth of God's word when we put on the belt of truth and when we speak the truth in love. So I want to wrap this message up with a challenge. A challenge to each and every one of us. If we're going to live with a biblical worldview, if we're going to found our lives on the truth, we've got to spend time in God's Word. We have so many resources available to us to let us read God's Word, let us listen to God's Word, help us study and understand God's Word. But ultimately, we have to put the time in. And then we have to apply it to our lives. We, if we're going to found our lives on the truth of God's Word, we take it in, we learn it, and we apply it. That's why we're so urgent in encouraging you in this season to be a part of the all-church study. We want to encourage you to read those daily scriptures and ask God what it means for your life and apply it to your life. We want to encourage you to come every Sunday to hear the message. We want to encourage you to join a life group. And actually, if you can't join a life group, while we believe that's the preferred way for us to do community with one another, we've made all of this available to you on our website. So you can do it in your family or you can even do it individually because we believe it's important that you spend time in the truth of God's word. So if you need more information about that, send us an email because we'd love to give you that information so you can begin to spend that time in it. And we do want to encourage you to pick up a packet before you leave today. So I'm going to pray for all of us that we will build our lives on the truth of God's word. So wherever you are, if you bow your heads, let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that when we take it in, it sanctifies us, it makes us holy. So Lord, uh, let us take it in. That means to hear it and read it and understand it and apply it. And help us 
live out a biblical worldview in a world that continually tries to distract us and pull us away from what your word says. Help us refocus our eyes to look through the world, through the truth of God's word each and every day. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.